the belonging card. It's, a, it's a, the theme for this year, belonging. Wasn't it cool, the communion word that we've been grafted in, we belong to God's family. That is so cool. We've looked at, uh, on here, identity, covenant connection, and at the moment we're doing Empowered and Freedom. We had a bit of a three-week break as full board an awesome series on Kingdom Abundance. And as we do each and every week, we encourage you to go to the podcasts and get a hold of those and listen to them. If you missed one of them in that series, get a hold of it and just absorb and meditate into the teaching and the freedom that God brings in the Kingdom Abundance. It's very cool. So we're going to jump back into, in, into Empowered and Freedom. And so what I'm going to look at this morning is what does freedom look like in belonging? Because we're all part of something, and we all fight for freedom. As I was thinking about this, I thought, oh, freedom, what does freedom look like? And I felt God say to me, there are two kinds of freedom. We have our internal freedom and an external freedom that we fight for. The internal freedom is that that freedom that we know that we are set free, that Jesus has set us free. Because of our sin that separates us from God, Jesus came down. As a man, he was born, as a, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, went to the cross as a perfect sacrifice in order for you and I to have a relationship with God. And we are free, and we are free indeed. And it's that freedom from shame and condemnation and guilt. It's that internal freedom knowing that we are set free and we are free indeed. Thank you. That is beautiful, little flower. Frankie loves daddy. It's so cool. It's the internal freedom that we have that sort of that empowers us and it's encouraging. But then we have the external freedom, a freedom that I think most of us spend more time focusing on than our internal freedom. The freedom that we are bound by restraints because of our political and economical environments that we're constantly fighting to get out of. We have this, this, this fight because of our environments and, and we are trying to establish some sort of freedom because, you know, who wants to be sort of ruled and reigned? I think we all want to be free to be able to do what we want, how we want, you know. If you look at right at the beginning with Satan, with God, he wanted to be free to a degree to be worshipped, to be loved, to be the kingpin and then God kicked him out and then... You know, God planted a tree in, in the garden and he, the enemy used that tree against Adam and Eve and said, come on, does he really say you can't eat it? You know, if you eat it, he, all he wants you to not be is like him. And so there was this all of a sudden a little bit of oppression or a bit of rules that felt like they needed to be broken. You ever heard that saying that you know, rules are made to be broken? It's not true. It's not true. Rules are, to be, are, meant to, are not meant to be broken. Yeah. Our rules are there for our protection, not for our oppression. Or our, yeah, you know? So Satan used that and he said, well, come on. You really want to be free? You can do whatever you want to do. And so we try and live this out all the time in our environments because we feel a little bit squashed or oppressed by authorities and, and people around us that try and tell us how we should be living. You only have to look at history. Oh, well, around the world and you see people fighting for freedom from racism. You've seen over in Charlottesville just the, the marches for white supremacy and the attacks and we've seen that all throughout history. 
you see this massive fight. And I have to, for freedom, and it's crazy. You think about racism. The color of a skin determines how valuable you are. You know what I'm trying to say, eh? That's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. You're all created in the image of God. We're all equal and have the same value. Why does the color of someone's skin determine their worth? How ridiculous. And yet people have been oppressed and are in that sort of battle and struggle for all their lives, generations, centuries. We see people fighting for freedom. You see ladies, the feminist movement, feeling oppressed and squashed. And so there's this fight now. You hear it in, in the news all the time about equal pay and and it's, we have this constant fight that we have for our freedom. We want to raise our kids a certain way. We want to live how we want to live. We want to be able to do what we want to do. So we're constantly fighting for freedom. Most of the world, I think, are fighting in this realm of our external freedom, not really knowing that the freedom that they seek is the internal freedom, the freedom that Jesus offers and gives because once you have that perspective of that you were set free and you were free indeed, that changes your external way of living. And so when I was thinking about this this morning, I thought, wow, throughout the week there's this great fight between our internal freedom and our external freedom. And some of the most oppressed people in the world are still living free in Christ. Every group you belong to has rules and regulations. They have do's and don'ts. Every club you join, every sports team has a way in which you're supposed to conduct your life. Every work or job that you have has a contract that says this is who you are to represent. These are the boundaries and the guidelines in which you are to work. Even churches has certain sort of ways of living. Everywhere you go, you are going to be have some sort of rules or guidelines in how we're supposed to be living. The Israelites, if you look at God's people, some of the most oppressed people in history, they spent 430 years in Egypt. 400 of those years, it tells us that they were in slavery and mistreated for 400 years. God comes up to Abram in Genesis chapter 15 and says to him, Abraham, your descendants are going to live in a foreign land not known to you and they'll be treated harshly and be treated for slaves for 400 years. And I started getting on my, oh, that's not, it's a bit rough because we know in 400 years' times God rises, raises Moses up to be their deliverer and God says that God hears their prayers and I'm thinking, 400 years? That's crazy. And God said, it's, you know, I'm not going to get into why the length of time was, but what God said to me is that what God says, God does. God has given you a dream and a vision and a calling. God will make sure it happens. Because what God says is going to happen. And that was really profound for me because I've had some visions and dreams in my life where I have some things that I believe God has put in there and I'm, I fight for them. God says, that's okay, because I'm going to make sure it happens. His own people, 400 years in slavery. God said it to Abraham, it happened. What is hard in your life? What are you struggling for? What are you pushing for to 
to see a, um, a promise or a vision come to life. God said it will happen because he said it's going to happen. And we need to put our faith in that and trust in that. So God raises up Moses after 400 years of slavery and, and he sends him out to be set free. And what I love in Exodus 12 is that finally Pharaoh gets it. That okay, I'm going to let your people go. There's been so many plagues. I watched a documentary the other night of locusts. My goodness. Billions of locusts just everywhere. And if you imagine boils and frogs and... And it took so many plagues for Pharaoh to realize that, okay, I'd better let you people go. And so after 400 years of slavery, Moses leads the people out in Exodus 12, and they leave rejoicing. Not only that, but they plunder the Egyptians as well. God puts favor on the Israelite people, and he's, they go and ask for their gold and their silver and all their fine products, and they load them up. So these Israelite people leave Egypt absolutely loaded but free, finally no longer slaves. Can you imagine what that would have felt like as they finally get to pack up their belongings and leave from slavery? We get to Exodus 14, and what happens there? They're they're camped at the sea, and Pharaoh changes his mind. He's realized that he's let go of his slaves. Who's going to do all the work? And so he pursues back after his his slaved people, and he wants to bring them back into captivity and into slavery. How many of you have been set free from something only to find a little while later the enemy's trying to bring you back into slavery for that very thing that he set you free from? Because the enemy wants us bound and wants us in slavery, but Christ has set us free. What else happens in Exodus 14 is that they're standing at the sea and the, the Egyptians are chasing after them and then God creates a path. God creates a way that Israelite people walk through the sea, wall of water on each side, and the Egyptians start chasing after them. The Israelite people get through safely on the other side and then God closes the sea back over and destroys all the Egyptians and their horsemen and chariots. See, it's God who makes the path. It's God who will defeat our enemies. And I believe God is always asking for us is to walk faithfully in his footsteps and where he's got called for us. He will fight the enemy for us. He will destroy the enemy for us. Just continue to pursue him. Continue to walk forward. Exodus 15. It's a song of Moses and Miriam. Don't forget to praise your God. Don't forget to worship your God who sets you free. I think it's a very important aspect. If you read the song, it's a big, long song, and it's a big account of them worshiping. But it's the fact they gave honor and glory to God for what he had done and where he had brought them. It's nothing to do with their own strength. God delivered them. God set them free. God made a path. God defeated their enemy. And they were just worshipped in thankful adoration. We then get to Exodus 16 and part of 17 where we see that God provides them with manna and quail and he, Moses knocks on a rock and pours water forth. To me, when God was 
when I was looking at that, it just showed of his amazing abundance and his provision. If you think about it, there was 600,000 men who left Egypt alone with, besides women and children. Your Bible tells you, 600,000 men. That's a lot of quail. <laughs> think about it. We, we think about it in a small amount, I eat quail, but there is 600,000 men plus women and children, and God feeds them with quail for a month. That's a lot of food. God is an abundant God. He provides manna every day from heaven, except for Sunday. Now God is an abundant giving God. They complain and whine about not having water, so Moses goes ahead of the people, knocks on a rock, demons terms, and water pours forward. You need to understand and you need to picture that it's not what we expect by going to turn on a faucet or open up a tap. If you had 600,000 thirsty men wanting one glass of water, and they went and it took 20 seconds to get their cup, fill it up from your tap, it would take 600,000 men 3,333 hours to get one glass each. Fun fact for the day, yeah. This is not a trickle of water. There's a reason that Moses had to go forth because God pours out an abundant blessing. This is a river that flows out of a rock. And yet life flows out of the rock we stand on. God is our provider. He is an abundant God. When water flows in your life, oh, it will flow. You determine how much it will trickle out. But God wants to pour out. God wants to provide an abundance for you. Even amongst your complaining. God is a God who loves you. And loves us. He is a God who has set you free. He is God who provides a way. He is a God who provides you with everything you need in an abundance. Our God is an amazing God. Continue to worship him. The second part of Exodus 17. The enemy comes back. But this time it's in the form of the Amalekites. And they don't come up from behind to try and drag them back into slavery. They come from a different direction. They come front on. Your enemy will continue to pursue you. He is constantly at your door. He he desires to have you. And so what does Moses do? Climbs up the mountain, lifts his hand to God. And while his hands are lifted to God, they are winning while they get tired and they come down, they start losing the battle. So Moses gets people, one on either side, to help lift his arms and praise. God is a God who will defeat your enemy. All we've got to do is to praise God and walk faithfully and obedient to what he has for us. Don't forget the importance of lifting your hands and your eyes and keeping your focus on God. No matter which way your enemy comes from, 
God is the one who will create the way and destroy your enemy. Let's just keep worshipping our God. Our God is awesome. Exodus 18. The old father-in-law comes for a visit. Jephro comes to visit Moses. Now Moses is leading a community of people, a people where they all belong together. Moses is standing there and all everybody's lined up coming with their complaints and quarrels and Moses is handling every single one. And Jephro takes a look at this and says, this is not healthy. This is not wise. This is not how it should be done. So he gives Moses some advice. His mentor gives him some advice. And we call this a, a leadership structure. And when you go to vision colleges and stuff, we look at that Jephro establishes um, some leadership within the church, which is awesome because he puts people in charge of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and so forth. I also think it's one of the largest pastoral care teams we've ever seen. Because they are called to bring their issues and their problems and their quarrels and the fight to these leaders in order to allow Moses to continue to pursue God and seek God's face. Because it was going to wear Moses out. And nothing is worse for a body of people than a leader burned out because they constantly have to deal with issues and complaints and problems. Are you listening? This is the body being the body. Big stuff was filtered through to Moses once the leaders were unable to handle the quarrel. It was too big for them. Then it got taken to Moses. The best thing that we can do for our church is to allow our leaders, Phil and Kathy, to be in the presence of God, to pursue him, and not to keep bringing our sore thumbs or our sore fingers or our stubbed toes to God every time or to Phil every time something happens. Small groups are important of doing family together. The 50s, the 10s, the 100s. We do not want a burnt out leader. We've established a great pastoral care team and leadership team that you have got complete and utter faith in in order to be able to go to them in confidence to help lead you and guide you through some of the processes and things you're going through. If it is too big, then it will go to the likes of Phil to sort it out. But let's outlive what Jethro has established as a body of people because we are doing life together. That's what it means to belong. Anyway, we'll move on. (laughs) Exodus 19, they get up to Mount Sinai. They all camped at the base. And the question I ask for you now, and you can answer this, is that are the Israelite people externally free? I heard a whisper of a yes. Are they externally free? Think about it. They've come from out of slavery. They have entered the entered through the sea. God has made a path. The enemies have been defeated. God's provided them with all sorts of yummy food, quail and mana. He's given them water. He's established a great community network in order that all their issues and quarrels and concerns are are dealt with in a healthy way. Are they externally free? You're not brave enough to yell it out. (laughs) 
You don't know. Yes, they are. What happens in Exodus 20? You biblical scholars, yell it out. The law. Ooh. I said in the beginning, no matter what you belong to, you are still bound by law. Israelite people, if you've read the Leviticus, my goodness, they are, I think they are probably more oppressed men than ever. They cut a finger, there was a process in order you had to fix your wound. God has a way of when you pick up the name of Jesus and you accept him into your life, you carry his name and God says, this is how you are to conduct your life. This is how you are to live and represent me in your environment. We are not, we are free from sin, but we are not free from responsibility. God has given us a responsibility to carry his name in a certain way, to conduct our lives in a certain way. And yet, like the Israelite people, still drop the ball from time to time. They fought it, they struggled with it. We do exactly the same. Thankfully, now we don't have to kill goats and doves and turtles and all this sort of stuff. We can just, Jesus has paid that price. But we constantly are fighting our sinful nature. We are constantly trying to buck the system because we have this fleshly desire within us to be free. And yet we are free because Christ has set us free. We need to allow that freedom to change the way that we live our lives. Romans, not Romans, well, I'm still in Exodus, aren't I? Can't jump that far ahead. <laughs> Exodus 21 starts off with dealing with slaves and servants. But before I jump into that, Romans, see, got there real quick. Romans 6.22, we could have that up on the screen. It says in the very beginning, but now that you have been set free from sin, Who's excited about that? Yeah, yeah. Only, not many. Shall we? We'll back that bus up again, and I'm going to ask you again. Romans 6.22 says, But now that you have been set free from sin, so who's excited that they're set free from sin? Yeah, yeah. And have become slaves to God. Oh, gotcha. Same word. Slave servants is doulios in Greek. Who's excited about being slaves to God? Some of you are not quite sure about that. The image of slavery is a horrible picture for us. We think about chains and we think about whips and we think about the old chain gangs, you know, picking rocks and smashing rocks. (laughs) Don't we? picture of slavery is not a nice picture. And yet the Bible just says that we are slaves to God. Mm. So what does that look like? Because we all cheered quite lovely at first because we're set free from sin and dead quiet once we become slaves of God. Go back to Exodus 21. When the Hebrew people had slaves, they could have them either for a period of time of six years before they and then set them free, or they were there to pay a debt. 
And once the debt was paid, they were required to be released. And from time to time, the slave would say, or the master would sorry, say to the slave, you are set free, your time is done. And the slave would go, there is no way I am leaving this circumstance. There is nothing better for me than to be under your leadership. There is nothing more safer for me. Being under your mastery being is so much better for me than being out on my own. And so what they would do is they would say to their master, look, there is nothing out there that is for me. I am better off under your protection, under your provision, under your love. This is the greatest situation in the world, and I'm not leaving it. This was called a bond servant, meaning you chose to surrender as the slave. You chose to give your whole life to this person. It was a decision that you made. What they would then do is go before the judge. The master would take a sharp metal object and stab him through the air. Ooh, some of you guys do that for fun. You see these fellows with these big holes in their ears? Hey, go up and ask them, hey, are you a bondservant of Jesus? That'll freak them out. There's an evangelical tool right there. Hey, me and you, we're the same. But that's what they do. And it was a symbol, proof that they had surrendered their life to their master because they knew there was nowhere else better for them. It was a choice. And this is the language that is used in Romans. James, at the start of James, he says, Kia ora, my name's James and I'm a slave of God. This is the language that he's using. Someone who knows there is no better place than to be under the lordship and headship of Jesus Christ. So who's excited to be a slave of God? Yeah, Yeah, whole different meaning. Language is very important. So when you belong to God, you are surrendering and saying, Jesus, God, there is no other place I would rather be than under your protection, your provision, your love, your guidance. Look at the Israelite people. Pulled out of slavery. God created the path, dealt with the enemy, provided them food, water, Gave them rules to live by, not to oppress them, but to protect them. And there is no other place I would rather be than under the leadership of of God. We are slaves to God because we choose to. What is our symbol? What is our sign? Cross. What is our seal? Put it that way. The Holy Spirit. We are marked by the Holy Spirit. We are his seal. I'm excited to be a slave of God. Are you excited to be a slave of God? Yeah. Yeah. Or do you prefer the word term servant? Because it fits a bit nicer. (laughs) See, when we have a look at this belonging, as was mentioned this morning, we are grafted in. We belong to his family. There are responsibilities in the family. We find our identity in God. We find our connection in Christ. We find our freedom 
and then we're engaged in purpose, which is coming up. See, we have a, we have a work to do. We've been called to go and make disciples. Matthew 28. Ephesians 4 says that we have been equipped for workers of service. We are called to be mature and to grow. That's part of belonging. That's part of producing the fruit that Louise said this morning. About being a part of it. Galatians 5 verse 13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. However, serve one another humbly in love. Love. The fruit that we're supposed to be producing. Because if you are free and you walk into your community and you walk into your external environments where there is oppression and there is horrible things happening and you carry the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you're going to look different. You're going to look different in the same environment as someone else who has not recognized the freedom that Christ has yet to offer. And as you carry out the freedom and as you serve one another humbly in love, they will say to you, how come you've got peace in this situation? How come you have joy in this situation? How come you show kindness when you've just been wronged so much in this situation? Why? Because we have been set free. And our internal freedom impacts our external living. The world is fighting for freedom externally, and they are longing for freedom internally. And God's called us to be that light, to go into those communities carrying his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and all those good things in order so that they can see the freedom that Christ has to offer. If you are still feeling bound up, like you're back in captivity, still like a slave in that sense, you know, I want to invite you this morning to come forward and be set free. Because God says, he who is set free is free indeed. Jesus went to the cross and he broke that, that hold over you. Come to the front and be set free and walk out without your chains and your shackles. If you have found yourself in a place of grumbling in your struggle, in your hardship like the Egyptian or the Israelite people did, How about we change the grumble to praise? How about we lift up our hands and worship God because God is our provider. God, if he has said something, will make sure it happens. God is an abundant God. is a God who loves you. So if you're feeling like you're in a space of grumbling and frustration, Come to the front this morning and offer him praise and worship. Exchange it. If you're in need of provision this morning, you have not because you have asked not. Come to the front this morning and ask God. Be specific. Be intentional. Have your motives correct. But ask God. Our God is a God of abundance
So I want to pray and then we're going to end the service. But I want to invite you to come forward. If you're fighting with God this morning, an internal battle, an internal wrestle, come just come before God. Remember who he is and what he's done. He set us free and we are free indeed. We are free from sin, but we are not free from responsibility. Go, grow, and work. God, I want to thank you so much that you have come to set the captives free. That Jesus, what you did on the cross for us by carrying the weight of the world's sin. Everybody that has ever lived, ever will live, every sin in the past, the present, and the future, you took on, your, on yourself and become the perfect sacrifice in order for us to be free. Free from sin. And God, it's exciting to say that we're a slave or a servant of God, knowing that it means that this is the greatest place that we could ever be. There's no other place that we would rather be than to worship and to serve and to give you all the honor and the glory and the praise and to outwork your will and your purposes and plans in our life. God, we surrender. We choose to surrender it all to you because you're the greatest master. You're the greatest father that we could ever ask for. God, we thank you that you are the one who leads us and guides us. You are the one who defeats our enemies. You are the one who provides all that we need. The food, the water, the life-giving water. Father God, we just thank you that you create, I guess, I don't like the word, but rules in order to how to conduct our life. It's guidelines. It's how you want us to live because we carry your name. And we want to represent you well. We want to be that light that's in, the, in our communities. God, help us to bear the fruit of love as we serve one another humbly in love. Help us not to grumble and to complain that things might not be going the way it looks like or feels like. Because God, you always have a plan and a purpose greater than what we can see. And so God, help us to surrender ourselves. Help us to use the internal freedom that you have brought us to impact our external way of living so that we can make a difference to the environment around us because we carry Christ within us, the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. God, we thank you that you meet every need. God, you're amazing. We want to give you all the glory and all the honor this morning. And may we take you into the, this week as we have intimate times daily with you. May we experience more of the freedom that you have given us. Thank you so much for all that you did for us, Jesus, on the cross. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you guide us and lead us and comfort us. 
Thank you, God, that you tell us who we are in you as we belong to the family of God, sons and daughters, adopted in, grafted into your family. Help us to carry that name well. May you receive all the glory and honor for all that we do in your precious name. Amen. Please.